Thanks for listening to The Rest is Politics. Sign up to The Rest is Politics Plus to enjoy ad-free listening, receive a weekly newsletter, join our members' chat room and gain early access to live show tickets. Just go to therestispolitics.com. That's therestispolitics.com. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to The Rest is Politics, special edition on the resignation of the Chancellor with me, Rory Stewart. And me, Alistair Campbell, who, had I been introducing it, would have said the sacking of the Chancellor. Uh, that, that is, it is the sacking of the Chancellor. Let's be <laughs> honest here. He was fired. And, I think and so. And pretty, pretty dramatic. It was one of those ones where it's become normal now, hasn't it? When they fly back from abroad, everybody follows them on flight tracker and then helicopters start whirring above number 10. And it all came out of this, this uh, IMF meeting, didn't it? So he came, Harry, back from the IMF meeting to be fired. There was obviously a lot of immediate excitement. I very much doubt that he will replace the flight of Her Majesty the Queen from Scotland to England, uh, which apparently was the most tracked flight in the history of flight tracking. Wow. But yeah, no, he, he, he was, so there was Kwasi Kwarteng out in America, did an interview, asked if he would be in, he and Liz Truss would be in the same job in a month's time. And he said, 100%, absolutely, I'm not going anywhere. And meanwhile, number 10 was booking his flight back. I don't know where it goes from here, because I don't know if you were able to see her press conference today, Rory, but it was it was pretty bad. And I don't see how she divorces herself from the fact that she didn't say he had done anything wrong. She basically, she, she's been in lockstep, as she keeps saying with him on this. It's her budget. It's her plan. I, we got a wonderful, when, when we announced that we were doing this, um, emergency podcast uh there was a wonderful um lesson a wonderful message from somebody called stephen hopkins who says that now that she's reversed the mini budget or parts of it does that mean that she's part of the anti-growth coalition (laughs) that's good well i presumably she is well you know what we were told by both her and kwarteng was that if unless you agreed with what she was trying to do you were somehow anti-growth and of course jeremy hunt now uh I mean, to all intents and purposes, he's virtually the prime minister. Yeah. Well, so, so just, 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 yeah. I mean, well, quickly on that, but just, just to remind listeners of just how dramatic this has been and how quick this has been. So, basically, this has all unraveled in three weeks. Liz Truss and Quasi Quarteng came in just before the Queen died. So, really, weeks were occupied. The first few weeks of her premiership were occupied with with the Queen's funeral and the new King taking over. So she only really got going with this mini budget, which was meant to be the great big start to her premiership. And as we discussed on the podcast, it was meant to set the tone. And I think Alistair 
really who understands this stuff much better than anyone else was saying this is the moment at which she needs to take the initiative set the agenda it's when she's going to announce the the price cap on energy and where she can set out her stall so sure enough the the mini budget was announced by quasi courting and from the moment it came out everything conceivable went wrong i mean there were immediately scandals about him going off to drink champagne with hedge fund donors immediately before it was announced. But the much more dramatic thing, of course, is that within a very short period of the announcement, the markets which Liz Truss and Quasi Corting had assumed would be very excited by the growth agenda and the tax cuts and the sort of radical free market libertarian agenda were instead horrified, horrified that the government was proposing to spend an incredible amount, borrow an incredible amount, and cut taxes on the back of spending and borrowing. And so currency went into free fall. Gilts collapsed. Mortgage interest rates. I was talking to someone this morning who got a mortgage in July uh, for 2.4%. I was offered 6.7% last week. And, and that, of course, for somebody on a low income is completely devastating. I mean, that's tripling your and, and mortgage is often the very biggest part of the cost of many people's incomes if they've just bought a house. Um, so anyway, that, that's the mess. But, but back to you on, on, um, on Jeremy Hunt becoming the Prime Minister. Steve Bryan, who I think is a, a Hunt Sunak supporter, he's been going around the place saying that what, how you have to view this government now is that Liz Truss is the chairman and Jeremy's effectively the chief executive officer. Um, now, this does give Jeremy Hunt enormous power. Um, I think in, to some extent, I, th- I can see... Why it's a, a moderately sensible appointment. He's got quite a good reputation inside the Conservative Party. Um, he has been around the block. Uh, I don't think it will help them uh, in putting off a nurse's strike. I think his name is pretty much mud within the National Health Service. Um, but I think he'll kind of calm the Tory party down a bit. But the messages, I don't know about you, but the messages I've been getting from the, the Tories who keep sending me messages is that even if they're glad that Kwarteng has gone, um, they don't see how that helps her authority because it was her budget. And secondly, I think they watched the press conference with absolute horror. And one thing that's becoming really, really clear, I mean, you, you said the other day that, you know, she was able to kind of relax and be quite charming in, pub, in private and so forth. But it strikes me she has no EQ, emotional quotient, emotional intelligence whatsoever. And that press conference, I know you, you didn't have time to see it, but if I just tell you, um, and it, I don't know if you know this, Rory, but the, 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 I think one of the longest pop songs in history is American Pie by Don McLean, which was yeah. eight minutes, 42 seconds yeah. long. Yeah. Her press conference came well under that because she said <laughs> a few words with a few platitudes. She announced this U-turn on corporation tax, and then she took four questions, and it was extraordinary to watch because – the press is sitting there. Um, the normal thing that's been done down the years is you call the BBC, call ITV, call Sky. She's obviously decided she's not doing that because she doesn't like them. So she called the guy from the Daily Telegraph, who, of course, has been the, the one paper that's, apart from the Express, yeah. that's been saying this yeah. budget was wonderful. Yeah. And the guy from the, Express, the Telegraph asked quite a difficult question. Then she called Harry Cole, who's, you know, yeah. virtually part of the Downing Street family. From the son. He, yeah. From the Sun, and he asked quite a tough question. Then she called Robert Peston, but she for some reason called him Robert Pest On, <laughs> literally like that, Robert Pest On. 
And then she called uh, Chris Mason of the BBC, who I might have got the order wrong there, but Chris Mason just asked a very, very straight, blunt question. What on earth gives you the right to stand there and pretend you have any credibility and authority as a, as a prime minister? And she gave the same answers to all of them and then walked off. Yeah. So, so let's just, <laughs> just it's amazing, but let, let's just take it back and deconstruct a couple of things very quickly again for listeners who've not been following every nook and cranny of this. So we often say on the podcast that the right-wing media has been absolutely critical to the success of Boris Johnson and Liz Truss. And it's absolutely true. Of course, the right-wing media has been very, very important to their success. But there's been a very noticeable turn against Liz Truss from a loss of these major newspapers. And the Telegraph, for example, led uh, its front page, Telegraph, obviously the biggest right-wing uh, broadsheet out there, um, with Petrokwasi quoting and a huge uh, sign above his head saying, uh, I'm staying in my job, which is, you know, a real kind of <laughs> clue that the poor man was on his way out. Um, <laughs> and, and, um, and, you know, this was also the paper that I was saying last week ran with a huge photograph of a Tory minister who'd been sacked in a, a sex scandal. So uh, along with those questions, I think she's in trouble with her base. But mm. it's also true that she is part of this accelerating world, I think. Uh, well, I mean, th these premises are lasting shorter and shorter times. It's becoming like you have to go back really to the 18th, 19th century to see prime ministers dropping three of them in a year. And that's somehow because structurally, 21st century conservative politics is becoming like 18th, 19th century politics. And what that means is the politics before the full emergence of the modern party system because party discipline is splitting. Mm. And what's happening is these people are being toppled almost as soon as they get in. But isn't but, but I do think there's something peculiarly British here, because you, you know, you've just seen Macron win another election. You've seen Merkel have four terms. Uh, the Portuguese guy got re-elected. Uh, I mean, I, I, and by the way, on that, on the sort of the, the turnover, I saw somebody pointing out they've now had four chancellors within a year Labour have had four chancellors since 1967. That's, uh, that's quite a fact. That's since 67 <laughs> is quite a fact. Because Gordon Brown, yeah. of course, a lot of those years Labour weren't in power, but that, you know, yeah, quite but, a lot they but, were. But, and of course, Gordon Brown had a decade, Alistair Darling. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you the other problem with, with Jeremy Hunt, though, um, that I think will become a problem. It's perfectly obvious now, Rory, whatever she said to Keir Starmer the other day about there aren't going to be spending cuts. She, she indicated today she's, she, she, that there will. Uh, I kind of read that between the lines of what she's saying. Jeremy Hunt is quite closely associated with your old friend austerity, and I don't believe the country will take anything like yeah. the austerity yeah. that they tried last time. One hundred percent. And 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 um, I'm, I'm sorry that I keep keep kind of looping back, but again, just in case listeners aren't completely on top of who Jeremy Hunt is. Our listeners know everything. They're very <laughs> okay. very well informed. So very quickly, Jeremy Hunt. Uh, uh, MP came in, he was like this sort of classic kind of tall, almost the only um, sort of front bench Tory MP kind of tall and good looking enough to be a kind of American politician. So sort of out of central casting, six foot three, he was head boy at his school, head of the conservative Charter house, exactly a son of an, an admiral with a knighthood mm. speaks, um, I think speaks Pretty fluent Japanese, as Foreign Secretary gave speech to Japanese. Made a lot of money uh, setting up a company. 14 million? 
Got, oh, very good. Got into politics in 2000. You're better than me on the facts. Got into politics 2005. Um, was very close to David Cameron, and Cameron made him a cabinet minister in 2010, initially cultural media and sport, where he got in a big scandal to do with whether or not people were talking. I think it was whether or not they were talking to Murdoch during the phone. B Sky B. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he then moved on from that to be the health secretary, then the foreign secretary, and he ran against Boris Johnson in the leadership 2019 when I was running, and he made it into the last two, and Boris Johnson defeated him by a very large margin. It looked as though his career was really finished because he didn't really feature at all in the leadership running this time round when Rishi mm. Sunak and Liz Truss were coming through. But what will have been happening is Liz Truss will have been casting around thinking, which chancellor can I appoint to reassure the markets? And I wonder whether she would have considered Rishi Sunak. That would have been a possible call because, of course, he was the one person clearly for weeks who's been saying that what she would do would destroy the pound, destroy the gilts, and was trying to push against this tax cutting. She probably considered Sajid Javid, who'd been the chancellor before, but in the end, she went for Jeremy Hunt because I guess he's seen unusually as a very senior neutral figure. He was somebody who wasn't associated with Boris Johnson's government. He's a throwback to what nostalgically people now see probably as the more centrist days of Cameron conservatism. But, and we can come back to this, I'm not sure he really can reassure the markets because, but we, we can talk about that a bit more. Anyway, over to you. I thought it was interesting that she seemed to think in the, in the four answers that she gave where she basically said the same thing. Um, she'd obviously been told, don't say anything that upsets anybody. But I think today was about sentiment. It was about mood. It was about what sense people had from her. And she didn't look confident. She didn't, she didn't emanate confidence. And I don't think that... People looking at that, whether they were members of the public, MPs, or people who are working on the trading floors, were going to take much confidence out of it. But she kept saying, I've acted decisively today to deliver economic stability. How on earth can you even say that? And just getting rid of Kwasi Kwarteng and replacing him with Jeremy Hunt, who, as you say, has not actually got a track, he's got a track record as a minister. People can say whether it's good or it's bad. But he's got no, there's no sense of him being somebody who understands or appreciates how the markets work. So, so one of the things that uh, makes me a little anxious about Jeremy Hunt is that although he's got this reputation as a very centrist, steady bear of hands, that wasn't really how I experienced him. During the Brexit thing, although he was a Remainer, he was one of the people in Theresa May's cabinet who seemed to go increasingly towards rejecting her deal. He was one of the people who, during the leadership campaign, was very much on the side of, I'm going to deliver a deal by this date, and we're going to get out, and I'm going to solve the Northern Ireland problem. And he was very much, I think more importantly, on the side of, I'm going to cut taxes, I'm going to generate US-level growth, which is a very strange comment, because we haven't really had US-level growth since the Second World War. He was going to double defense spending. So he was very much, at that stage in 2019, on the quasi-courting Liz Truss wing of the party, which believed that if you just cut taxes, you would automatically generate mm. unprecedented growth, and you would be able to spend an enormous amount more on conservative things like defense. Well, our, um, our good friend, Professor Tim Bale, who regularly gives us food for thought on the podcast, he sent us a message this afternoon saying, I'm sure you remember Jeremy Hunt's signature policy when he ran for leader against Johnson in 2019 was cutting corporation tax to 12.5%. I also think in the le in the last leadership election, this one that just went 
uh, buy that ended up with Truss. I, I, I think we discussed this earlier, not necessarily just in relation to Hunt, but I think those people who were sort of what I call the kind of pretend Brexiteers, the ones who, because the wind had blown so much in that direction in the Conservative Party, that they were trying to sort of not just put a brave face on it, but actually pretend that they'd embraced it. I think he had moved right over into the kind of populist space. But he has got, he's, there's no doubt about it now, within what's happening in the Conservative Party, I still think she's toast. I still think she's finished. Um, but I think, and until she goes, he is now in a very, very powerful position. And, you know, a lot of the talk seems to be, I, I, I did that um, BBC newscast podcast last night. You didn't. You didn't. I did, but Rory, but Rory, Rory, I got so many plugs in for, the pod, for our podcast. It was, and also Craig Oliver did the best pod, plug for our podcast of all. So honestly, it was really worth doing, believe me. But anyway, Chris Mason was, <laughs> was presenting it, uh, the BBC political editor. And he was just giving me a sense of what it had been like for him walking around the Commons during the day and the sorts of things that were being said by Conservative MPs that he was bumping into. And I don't think they'll be settled simply by the idea that she's got rid of Quartin, because I think they think it's about Liz Truss. Let's go to a break. But after the break, I'd love to return to this very interesting question of why we've moved into this accelerated world where there's some lovely stuff going on on social media at the moment. The, the star is, has a live feed seeing whether well, Truss will outlive a lettuce. <laughs> yeah. Then you've got fairy washing up liquid. One bottle lasts longer than three conservative leaders. Um, anyway, let, let's return off the break and, and maybe look at some of the structural reasons why British politics has accelerated in this way. Over to the break. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. So welcome back to this emergency 
999 podcast with me, Alistair Campbell. And me, Rory Stewart. While we're talking about Quasi, uh, Rory, I was looking up, this is how sad I am, I was looking up Quasi Kwarteng's maiden speech. Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> when he became an MP in 2010. Now, as you know from your maiden speech, you're not meant to be too sort of controversial. It's one of the many ridiculous conventions in the House. But I, I don't know if Gordon Brown or Alistair Darling are listening to our podcast. I know they both have people who do because I occasionally get messages from them. But so please make sure that Gordon and Alistair know that in Kwasi Kwarteng's maiden speech, he said this, they, by which he meant them, have not once accepted any blame for what happened. They seem to think we can just sail on as before, <laughs> which, frankly, I think we could all say about Liz Trust today. There was no blame. She actually was saying her strategy was right. Quasi did nothing wrong. It's just that she had to stabilize the markets, and this was the way she decided to do Before it. we leave Quasi Kwarteng, I mean, it is very interesting. I mean, he is, he's been a very radical voice, and one of the things that we talked about in the last podcast when I was in North Africa was Libya. And we talked about Field Marshal Hifta, who's this very sinister figure with the secret police and these amazing kind of Islamist control mechanisms who controls a lot of Eastern Libya. Um, and quasi courting, somebody sent me a, an article he'd written in Evening Standard endorsing Hifta and saying what Libya needs is a strongman uh, just a few years ago. And mm. it's a, a sort of reminder that how provocative, sort of dangerously provocative he's been, because actually that was a very, very bad idea. Phil Marshall Hiftar is a very bad man, and I'm very troubled to see that he'd been endorsing him. Anyway, why didn't why didn't you say that before when you were telling us that he was a friend of yours and you liked him and you thought well, I, I, he, was... is, he, he is a friend of mine and I I do like him and I I it's a difficult thing to say. I mean, he's somebody who was I knew as this gangly thirteen year old. He was incredibly bright. I mean, he came in. With a, it's an extraordinary story. He came from his Ghanaian family with a, a very very high scholarship to Eton. He was incredibly eager, charming. He, um, we used to discuss modernist poetry when he was fourteen, and um, and he had this great kind of gruff persona. But I would never have guessed for a moment that he was going to become a politician, and and I think he could have been you know, a, a great sort of provocative university lecturer or mm. teacher. And I just think it's a tragedy that he he got into politics. Incidentally, I've got a sort of small apology to you. No, not a small apology, a big apology. Um, in trying to work out how to describe quasi-courting and Liz Truss, I said that in trying to describe the fact that they throw out ideas and they won't sit down and discuss them and they seem to change what they're saying every in a few minutes, I said they had attention deficit disorder. Mm. And that was very, very, uh, you know, that, that was wrong of me. And I've, a number of people reached out to me who either have ADHD or have children with ADHD to say that actually people with ADHD, unlike these politicians, often have extreme empathy, they have deep, deep empathy for other people, that their lives are very difficult and that it's to, to, to take awful politicians and sort of use attention deficit disorder as an insult is awful. So I want to very much apologize for that and said, I've got a lot of learning to do. I'm glad to hear that because I, I, I had a little, I had a gentle go at you about it in relation when we talk about being a bit weird and all that, because I, I felt that was part of the same thing. And, and if the, the, the program 
that I'm doing with Saida, make me prime minister, one of the candidates um, who is really amongst the strongest and anybody who saw the episode this week would see that Kelly from Scotland is really is amongst the strongest and and she has autism um and 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 I do think that we are often a bit too casual about how we use language to do with you know whether it's autism or spectrum or Asperger's or whatever I think so so anyway well done for fessing up to that one Rory yeah, no, that, that was not good. Um, very, very quickly, just on the on the um, acceleration point. So I think that the the reason why things are accelerating. So we went from a world in which, obviously, Mrs. Thatcher was in for a long time, ten years. John Major was was in for a long time, seven years. Uh, Tony Blair was in for how many years? Ten. Ten, right? And or then by Gordon three. Gordon, Gordon three, but Gordon Brown only finished by an election. Otherwise, he would have continued. And then, obviously, David Cameron in for six. And so that that that's the norm in British politics. It's the way we sort of think about British politics in the in the modern era. And then suddenly things began to accelerate. I mean, obviously, Theresa May did about two. Boris Johnson did about two. And it feels as though Liz Truss is going to be lucky to do a few months. And mm. so, why is this? And this is where I, I go to you, Alistair, because I think it's the big word that you understand better than anyone. What is the reason why things are accelerating so much? Well, Brexit. It is Brexit, isn't it? I think, <laughs> I think a lot. Of, well, I think it's, I think it, look, it's complicated. Um, I do, I really do. I was in Dublin on, on Tuesday and I was, I was actually making, at a conference, I was speaking about Brexit and definitely the, the view in the room was that Britain has not recovered from Brexit. This, these were Irish uh, business people. Uh, they feel that Britain has just taken a terrible step into an unknown future, and they and we we Britain can't work out how to how to manage it. But I think the other thing that's going on. I'm reading a book at the moment by Christopher Wiley. Do you remember Christopher Wiley, the guy who worked for Cambridge Analytica and then became a whistleblower? Oh, yeah. And yeah, yeah, that guy. I can say the title of the book in a way I probably couldn't say it on the BBC. It's called Mindfuck. Um, <laughs> Do you know he's been banned from Sky for our from abusive language. I saw that, but they swear, they say, they maybe don't say the F word, but anyway, uh, we can get by without Sky. We have more people listening to us than watch Sky, Rory. Don't worry about that. Um, but, and by the way, I'm really sorry, everybody. We have sold out the Palladium. Even I am shocked by that. It's sold out in seven minutes. Yeah. Which is utterly ridiculous. As you can imagine, because Alistair sometimes gets quite confident. He has these moments of confidence. He was trying to tell us the Palladium was too small and we needed to play. What was it? O2 Wembley <laughs> Arena. <laughs> I saw the O2 or Wembley, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and now, of course, he's absolutely convinced of this because the Palladium, which had two and a half thousand seats, sold out in seven minutes. You're the one who keeps talking about Harry Lauder. And yeah, well, I, I thought, well, I mean, because Max I'm a Harry, Harry Lauder, Max Miller, you know, Tony Hancock fan, I think those places are pretty big because, you know, Bob Mankhouse didn't always sell out the Palladium. So I, I thought that was about as good as we could do. But obviously... I wonder if um, Boris Johnson will be on that circuit. I see he got 150,000 for a speech the other day. I mean, I think people are quite offended by that, you know. Yeah. He's completely screwed the country. He's left us with a total dud. Uh, he's got a constituency to run. He's still an MP. And he's he's gone and picked up 150 grand for a speech and and then taken his family on holiday. Although, although um, I think... Of all the things that these ex-prime ministers do, I mean, Tony yeah. Blair also made a lot of money from speaking, yeah. um, and, and ex-politicians do, it's probably 
it, well, I you and I it. do, Rory. You we and do. I do. We, we do. We do. Um, and I can see it's upsetting for people, but it is less bad than many of the other things they could do. It's much less bad than lobbying, much less bad than taking dodgy jobs. Oh, it's also, in his case, it's much less bad than him being prime minister. So I don't care if he gets $10 million as long as he's never prime minister again. The, the question is, why does somebody want to pay all that money to hear him? That's what surprises <laughs> That's a good me. Question. That, that's, that's a good question. question. So we were talking about this longevity thing, and Chris Wiley's book, Mindfuck, um, really does, I'm, I'm only about a third of the way through, but I, I, I do think that social media has, it's accelerated, it's accelerated people's intolerance. And I think it's made people, I think politicians have far less ability to get away with the benefit of the doubt when once they're in power. I think this stuff helps bad guys get into power, but I think once they're in, if there isn't a basic level of competence, I think you're done for quicker. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so, and I, I do think, Roy, there, there aren't, you know, we used to all laugh about Italy where they change prime minister every 10 minutes. But I think we are becoming seen as that kind of basket. Well, you come completely. I mean, well, because Boris Johnson is Berlusconi, basically, right? Mm. And, and now uh, people are trying to bring in a sort of Mario Draghi figure in the Chancellor. They're trying to d- d- get a reassuring technocrat to come in. Which is, and, what and Lister, was, is, is let's trust was, Georgia Maloney. Well, she's, she's not yet. She's not but the question off. is, is it round the corner? So I, I think the way in which Brexit plays into this isn't just the economics. It, it's the way in which um, Brexit as a manifestation, as you say, of populism and its acceleration and the way that social media accelerates things has riven the Conservative Party because this is a party that from the moment Brexit passed was split initially with the majority of people having voted Remain, then the majority of people having voted Brexit, but completely unreconciled to itself. So Theresa May was destroyed by the Brexit right of the party. Boris Johnson, many of the people who moved against him were from the Remain left of the Conservative Party, which is why many uh, Boris supporters have never really forgiven that. Liz Truss won on the back of the Brexit right, so she was seen as a Boris Johnson loyalist, and the people who came out immediately against her were mostly on the non-Brexit left. There were some exceptions. She put a few mm. remains in the cabinet. But basically, the Conservative Party is in a civil war, and it's a civil war between the kind of libertarian, almost Trumpian populist right and the more one-nation conservatism, which was trying to win votes in the center ground which David Cameron came out of. And, and this war's been going on really un- since, Roy, since Mrs. I, Thatcher went. I think it's more complicated than that. I think you've got the One Nation and you've got the Libertarians. But I don't think all the populists are necessarily in the same place as Truss's Libertarianism. Um, I think that's something that's yeah, even, more, even more complicated. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but, yeah. That's right, because a lot of the populists, I mean, you're right, Boris Johnson was not on the side of what this Truss trying to do. He, of course, approved these tax rises to balance the budgets. So... Mm. Um, and, and he, he, he was obviously part of the anti-growth coalition. Well, that, that's what she means. I mean, she's saying since 2008, we've had anemic growth and she, in that press conference, um, and she blames it almost entirely on the fact that taxes are too high. Now, you, you then said, I think, something very important, which is the fundamental question here, which is about whether the public will wear more cuts. And the answer is, of course, they will not. They, they really will not. And um, although we've had our disagreements, many disagreements about austerity, and I would actually say that in a way, uh, the way in which Quasi Quarting and Liz Truss blew up the markets and blew up the country is, from my point of view, if you come from my side of politics, 
a reminder of why people like me believed that being prudent fiscally, being responsible fiscally, balancing the budget matters, that if you're seen to borrow and spend too much, you can really trash stuff. By the way, just on on our previous arguments about austerity, I think you said last week that the, the Labour had no plan to, to, to bring it down. I think I'm right that the election that Labour lost, Alistair Darling was talking about reducing it at half the pace that, 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 John, that Osborne said he was going to do. So I don't think you were quite right on that one, Rory, but we should maybe get, we should try and get Gordon and Alistair on. And we should get him on. We want, we want him on. We want him on. And we should, we should, talk, we should talk, talk through. I mean, they definitely were talking about cuts. And they were definitely talking about cuts which were less than the Tory cuts, mm. but they would have fallen in different ways. They were actually talking about cuts that would have gone right across the board. They didn't believe in what George Osborne did, which was to protect the NHS, protect education and increase spend on international development. They tried to argue that the only fair way to do it would be to reduce spending almost equally across departments. Anyway, mm. it, and, and it would be interesting to play through for critics of austerity, whether they had really taken on board what the impact of those labour cuts would have been if they'd come through. Yeah. Keir Starmer has basically said that Truss is now finished, she's a lame duck, um, and the only way now for the country to get out, to begin to get out of this mess is, is to have a general election. Do you think there's any chance of getting a general election? No, there's, there's no chance of getting a general election because the only way you can get a general election is for the majority of MPs to vote for a general election. And the Conservatives won a very, very big majority in 2019. Right. Okay. Let me let me let me ask it another way. Is if the Conservatives do get rid of Liz Truss, mm-hmm. do you think that they can really inflict upon the country another leadership change without having a general election? Yes, I, I think you th- they. Can. You think, I they, think can? they? I think they can, and they probably will. I mean, I think they. they they're in a. I mean, we've talked about this before. They're in a, a sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't don't position. I think it's going to be very difficult for them to win the next election, whatever they do. They're now 30 points behind. And they've blown the only thing that mattered for the Conservative Party. Because, you know, you and I uh, completely disagree about whether it was um, whether it was uh, true or not. But there's, there's no doubt that a very important part of the Conservatives' reputation for 200 years has been that they were supposed to be the people who were careful with money. I mean, the, the, the cliche was supposed to be, and I, I know we disagree about this, but anyway, they, the brand, even if it was a fake brand, was meant to be that Labour was sort of nice, generous people who were a bit loose with the cash, and the Tories were nasty people who were careful with the cash. Yeah. So they've blown that. They've, they've blown that. And so they're going to be... They're, they're, they're now nasty and useless. Yeah. And, and they were supposed to be. Um, that was not meant to be their brand. So they given, meant, okay, so, here, so yeah. here's a question yeah. for you. Given that Rishi Sunak literally almost word for word predicted what would happen if they if they elected Liz Truss okay do you think that g- might give him the authority to be the person around whom even those who voted against him even those who don't like him to say right the only chance and it's a slim chance the only chance we have now is to go with a loaded revolver and a glass of whiskey to Liz Truss say bye bye you're finished and here's Rishi Sunak and we are electing him anointed, no election. He is the new leader of the party. He's the new prime minister. Don't you think that's the only thing they've got left? So I, I agree with you, Alistair. If, if you and I were advising, that's what you've got to do. Because the, the point is that they're going to look ridiculous, obviously, having you know a third leader in this amount of time. It's, it's, it, it, it'll be humiliating and mad. And many people will say it's completely illegitimate. 
if you look at the alternative, the alternative for them is much, much worse. They cannot possibly win an election under Liz Truss. So long as she remains prime minister, it doesn't matter which chance that she brings in, she's not going to reassure the markets. So they will say, I think, ultimately, they'll see the logic, which is they're very unlikely to win the next election, but they have zero chance with Liz Truss. So they might as well roll the dice again. They have at least a 10% chance, maybe with somebody else. And, and if, if, they, if they do go for an anointing, they don't have to go to the members. The members don't have to endorse that, do they? Well, remember with, uh, yes is the answer. So with Theresa May, because all the other candidates dropped out, this was when she, she came in after David Cameron in 2016, yeah. Andrea Leadsom dropped out. It didn't go to the membership. She just became the prime minister. So if the MPs want to do that, they can absolutely do that. But you're right, in the middle of this is this very, very strange thing about the members, which is a problem for the Labour Party and the Conservative Party, which is that there is nothing democratic about paying money to join a political party. Mm. doesn't matter whether you've got 100,000 members or 500,000 members. It's not democratic. At least the MPs are elected. right? They have some kind of democratic mandate. And them, MPs voting for a prime minister is the traditional way it happened in Britain. And it makes some kind of democratic sense. But the parties doing it is what produced Jeremy Corbyn. It's what produced Boris Johnson. It's what produces Liz Truss. And it's a very, very bad system. I've already been ticked off in the chat box for... For plugging uh, a BBC podcast. I'm now going to plug Tortoise because James Harding, um, you mentioned the membership. He's continuing with his attempts to expose the reality of the Conservative Party membership. I think he's taking the whole leadership process to a ju- judicial review because, of course, he, he, he uh, enrolled Archie the Tortoise, amongst others, as a yeah. member of the Conservative Party and got a vote. And, and there's no transparency. They won't reveal what the, I mean, it's extraordinary. I mean, I, I was obviously, you know, a Conservative Party member, but until this very good research done by Tortoise Media, which is a, a, a very interesting media company, it wasn't made brutally clear until they started doing it just how dodgy the rules around these parties are. They're completely untransparent. They won't reveal their membership lists. They won't tell you how many of their members are not even British nationals or registered yeah. voters. I mean, it's terrifying, absolutely terrifying. Yeah. So you, you, so you would like to see whatever happens next. It is just the MPs who decide. I'd like just the MPs to decide, and I think the only hope for the Conservative Party is to get rid of Liz Truss because so long as she stays, they don't have a chance. Bring in somebody, and that person would have to come in immediately. Raise taxes, corporation tax, national insurance would have to go up. Put some kind of control on spending so we can actually see what happens in a year or two with the energy price cap. And if they manage to reassure the markets, if, 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 if inflation began coming down, if, because I didn't see it coming down, if interest rates began coming down, and if they actually ran a very, very tight competent ship with a very mature, experienced leader, which I can't see them finding at the moment, Mm. they might have a sliver of a chance if Labour did something catastrophic of winning the next election. But I'd I'd put the chance at 10% with a new leader and zero with Liz Truss. Well, that's great. That's really cheering me up a lot. And just just to maybe maybe wrap up with this, on the back of uh, Liz Truss's press conference, uh, the yield on bonds to be paid in 30 years went up to 4.85%. And the Which value means the, the price pound, is, yeah, the, the, yeah, has gone the, down, value, yeah. the, the value of the pound went down. Yeah. 
Um, So she did not, if that was part of the purpose of the press conference, it was not successful. And one, one, one of your former colleagues that I was talking to said, um, you just get the feeling now that even if they try really hard, even if they do their best, whatever they do, they don't know how to do it. I think she doesn't know how to do the job. I think that yet again, we've seen the gap between what it takes to be a cabinet minister and what it takes to be prime minister is utterly enormous. People have no idea how big that gap is. Well, because you can hide as a cabinet minister. It's mm. very, very easy to hide. I mean, particularly if you're a trade minister or a foreign minister, you get to take photographs in front of flags with dignitaries. You don't really have to deliver on policy. And the prime minister carries carries the can. No, it's, it's impossible for anybody to know really what it's like to be prime minister. And we need a much better system of testing them. And that's why a lot of the most successful prime ministers seem to have been people who were leaders of the opposition before. Yeah. Really helped Tony Blair, helped David Cameron, helped Margaret Thatcher to come in with that experience. Absolutely. Well, maybe maybe, the, maybe we should choose the next prime minister by Saeed Avasi and I and doing a, t- t- a TV program. Yeah, I must say, I don't know, we should do, talk about this, but I'm, I'm not completely convinced that the candidates no, on your show will make was, brilliant that was, that, was a, that was a bit of a joke. That was a bit of a joke. Okay. Anyway, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad that we were able to do our emergency. We pressed the emergency podcast emergency protocol. <laughs> I, I, I'd love to. I wish we were being filmed so that could pe- people could see exactly what you're wearing. Uh, um, I, I, only... I, I, I can tell tell the listeners I'm stark naked. He's dragged me out of the butt, and he's he's admiring my rippling biceps as we speak. Um, not quite, not quite. We're talking we're talking Tweedy three piece is what we're talking. <laughs> Anyway, it's lovely to see you, Roy. I think we'll be doing another couple of podcasts next week so as we can stay right at the top of the charts, selling out big venues. You'll come, you become Max Miller, the cheeky chappy, and all will be well in the world, especially once this rotten Tory government is out of power. Right, and so on that, farewell. Speak soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration.
In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy, too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics U.S. wherever you get your podcasts.